From beanies to carry bags and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Discussing local, national, and international issues. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Hello and welcome to Weekends with Jason Olborn here on TNT Radio. Now on video, and I hope you're enjoying the various different feeds that you can pick up. Some people are telling me they're watching it on YouTube now on their telly. They just flick the remote control and there we are as one of the favourites, which is one way to do it. You can, of course, watch us on Rumble and there are other platforms coming up like Brighty on BitChute even, where you can, whichever is your favourite, you can stream TNT live on video. And of course now, if you go to Rumble, as I discovered myself just last night, you can pick up all the episodes now on video if you don't want to go and watch us through the website at www.tntradio.live. There is so many ways that you can share the uh, latest story that you've seen or news presenter or one of the interviews that we'll be doing today on this show weekends which is uh turning out to be a bonanza and an opportunity for people all around the world authors filmmakers storytellers of all kinds that are going to be participating in this show ongoing as the weeks ahead and today i promise is a bumper edition one of my favorite authors is up next as our first guest, I'll introduce Brad in just a minute. But in the second hour today, you're going to meet Dr. Josiah Baker, who is an Associate Professor of Public Policy and Finance. And somehow he ends up involved, of course, he's written many books of his own, but he ends up being the translator for a Swedish author therapist called Ulf Sandstrom. Ulf had written a book in Swedish called The Optimist, and Josiah Baker will be here to talk about his involvement in this book, which I must tell you, I read yesterday, could not put it down. It is profound. And if you've ever heard of Wayne Dyer and your erroneous zones, I will tell you right now, this book is every bit as good as Wayne Dyer's literary uh, masterpiece that set him off, that um, he went out with an initial rollout of 5,000 copies went out and got interviewed all around the traps, ended up selling 35 million copies, and of course, the rest is history. In Wayne's case, and The Optimist, I tell you what, you are going to be delighted there. My third guest today, Rich Pfeiffer, who was the uh, lawyer involved with Leslie Van Houten, who was one of the Charles Manson killers, and he worked with her for a decade before securing her release after 50 years in jail. And we're gonna talk about the MK Ultra mind control program connected to Manson and others as Rich, a lawyer himself, has looked deeply into what's going on in the background there. And we'll be able to put things together in the 60s and LSD, et cetera, uh, quite incredible. Who would have thought that if you just switch to your mainstream news today, as I did earlier to check the headlines, then there were stories about um, uh, sexual behavior of people and what they should do, guided by a doctor. There was a story about um, uh, poisoned meat or something and getting food poisoning. Uh, and, and this is what we're seeing now in the mainstream news, almost as if it's a distraction from the 85 uh, missiles, uh, sorry, uh, landmarks that were attacked by the US in Syria and Iran. Goodness me, you wouldn't want to know about that, would you? But uh, make sure that you know where the uh, the bad meat is. That's what we're seeing today. But here on TNT Radio, we're going to get into the big stories. Let me tell you something about, uh, here's another one, actually, I just spotted uh, just before. Peter Thiel, the co-founder of PayPal, has come out and he wants to introduce a doping Olympics. That's right. Anyone can participate. And it's all about augmented humanity, seeing what can be done. It's almost as if people are now being used to see what they can uh, get out of people and be abused at the same time. Horrible situation. It just shows you how far people are going to try and get notoriety. All we really want is just answers for how the world really works and determine if the powers that be are doing us a disservice or not. 
Russell Brand came out this week and said that everything comes down to the government no longer serving the people, but wanting to control us and everything is sold to us as uh, safety or convenience. And when he said those words, I thought he must have been listening to me. I've been saying those terms for months now. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Brad. Uh, I uh, discovered Brad Olson's work a few years ago now. I picked up uh, two books. One was called Modern Esoteric and the other was Future Esoteric. And these were 400 and something pages each. They were referenced and they dealt with stories, many of which I was aware of, but goodness me, dozens that I was not in a chronological history that blew my mind that goes back to ancient times, to recent times. And then Brad came out uh, a couple of years ago with Beyond Esoteric completing the esoteric series. And it went on with more information about all of the secrets that we think we know about. But someone has gone out and compiled all the information, not just because of an interest, because it's become a life's work. You see, Brad was a travel writer for a long period of time, set up his own publishing company, went on and uh, published books for, for that he'd written and for others, and then went into a world of discovery that you can only do when you see it for yourself. And I think Brad is one of these people that makes it into an obsession, turning it into a profession. And I reckon when you meet him, you'll realise he hasn't worked a day in his life, but he never, ever stops moving. He's fresh back from a trip to Laos. I've managed to secure his uh, his time. I think he might be a little bit jet lagged, but I'm sure he's in it for the long haul. As always, Brad Olson, welcome to TNT Radio. Hey there, Jason. Great to be on again and, and always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, look, it's terrific, Brad, to, to have you on the show. And we did, um, on my uh, on my uh, show uh, on World Series News, et cetera, we got in touch in the past and we've talked about uh, many different issues. And I really wanted to get in touch with you um, about the uh, the work that you're doing, uh, of course, with Antarctica, because um, it, it is the uh, the largest continent that we know nothing about, the fifth largest landmass on Earth. There's only about 5,000 people that uh, ever live on there at any peak time. And it's divided up into little wedges. And of course, there's 25 percent, give or take, of the continent that's off limits to humanity, known as Marie Birdland. And it opens up so many different questions. And I wanted to get into that uh, story soon. But what I really want to do before we start is ask you about your recent trip. You went to Laos. Um, did you go there for uh, for business or, or, or for fun? Yeah, it was a, a paid trip to go to the ASEAN Tourism Forum as hosted media. I'd done this a lot when uh, during my travel writing years and I was in Laos 20 years ago for the ASEAN Tourism Forum. So they invited me back this year and I had a article idea about the Plain of Jars, which is a megalithic site in Northern Laos. And I pitched my uh, publisher at World Explorer, is David Hatcher Childress. He's uh, one of the stars of Ancient Aliens and said, yeah, we've never done that before. So yeah, go ahead, knock yourself out. So uh, part of the task of going to this tourism forum as hosted media is you have to produce some media for them for the host country and so i wrote this article and it's going to be in print it's going to be an online and perceptive travel magazine and just last night i was on coast to coast am with george nori and he was very interested in this story too and we talked about laos and the plain of jars and the secret war during the vietnam war for a good half of the show you're quite incredible because when, when you start realising uh, bits and pieces of history that you've never learnt about, it opens your mind and you start asking more and more questions. What was it about the Plain of Jars that most people wouldn't be aware of? For mine, when I looked into it, it's the magnitude, the size of these uh, these particular jars is, is something else. What can you tell us? 
Yeah, sure. They're they're very old too. They're uh, 500 BC to 500 AD. So some of them are 2,500 years old. Uh, it was during the Iron Age in Southeast Asia when they had mastered the art of smelting metals and used the metal to chip away harder rock. Some of the jars are made out of granite, which is a very tough rock. And they're two and some are even three meters tall. They're quite large. Um, and the purpose was really unknown for quite a long time. There are hundreds of them, not just in one location, but in a dozen or more location scattered all around this town called Phone Sovin. And it's now a World Heritage Site. All of them are protected. But during the Vietnam War or the Second Indochina War, when America was bombing the Ho Chi Minh Trail, the reason why the Plain of Jars is where it is is that a major crossroads on a high plateau. So it's always been a trade route, and it was also part of the Ho Chi Minh Trail where they're bringing supplies down to the Viet Cong in South Vietnam. Now, the U.S. never declared war on Cambodia or Laos. And it's called the secret war in Laos because for six years, from 1964 till 1970, Congress didn't even know that the Air Force was dropping payloads on Laos every single day, multiple times. It turns out Laos is the per capita the most bombed nation on earth. And there's still quite a few unexploded ordinances that uh, hurt the population even in this modern day so the cleanup continues from this war that took place uh 50 years ago it's quite incredible isn't it so there was a secret war somewhere between 64 and 73 um right. so so what was what was this all about and, and how does this sort of tie into the plane of jars well, the Plain of Jars happens to be right there on the crossroads. So the Ho Chi Minh Trail went right through this area. And during the, in Laos, they call it the Indochina War. And the first Indochina War was with the French right after World War II. Uh, they wanted their independence along with Vietnam and, and uh, Cambodia, which was French Indochina. So there was a protracted civil war. France finally pulled out in 1954. But the Civil War continued, and some of the fighting took place right there on the Plain of Jars. In fact, you can still see some of the trenches where they had uh, troops stationed, and they would even jump in the jars uh, as sentries. And some of the jars are pockmarked with bullet holes and, and shrapnel. Also on the Plain of Jars are these great big craters the size of duck ponds from the bombing campaign in the second Indochina war, that is the, the Vietnam war, the secret war in Laos. And it's still quite evident how heavily bombed this area was just because of its strategic location, Not, nothing really to do with the jars themselves. How the, however, many of the jars were destroyed or fractured and even flung into different locations. And these things are huge, Jason. What they were basically used for, and archaeologists in the 1930s, French archaeologist by the name of Colani, was out there and found that around the jars were all these uh, other burials. Uh, so it was kind of like a family 
burial plot as we would see a mausoleum with a family name on it and then a bunch of uh, the family members buried there. That's what the jars were used for. And it was called a secondary burial process, whereas they would just put a dead body in one of the jars and let it decompose. And then animals would pick it clean. And then when they finally uh, got down to just the bones, they'd take them out and bury them right around the site of the jar. And then they could put another body in. Uh, there's also a cave on the site, which acted as a crematorium. So if if you were a commoner, you would probably be cremated. The jars were basically reserved for the higher echelon of society, the traders or the royalty in the area. And uh, it, it was it was with great expense, really, to quarry these uh, large sandstone and granite stones. And they found the quarries. But it's still a mystery how they got them 20 kilometers up to this uh, high-level plateau where they exist today. But you can see on the inside of them, and they found some of the tools that they used to chisel away on the inside of the jar. And then some of them have this uh, really ornate ring. And even one of them had a petroglyph of a man with his arms over his head, the only one with a petroglyph in the place called Site 1, which is where almost all the tourists go. But there are other far-flung locations that you can go to and see other jars in different locations, some of them in, in really dense jungles. Now, when you look at these jars, it, it almost looks like a giant tea set that someone who might be, I don't know, 50 or 100 feet tall might have made and were carrying around the countryside. Is there any link that there could have been giant people, perhaps, or is this uh, another one of these myths? Well, that was the legend. And in the museum right there at Site 1, put together by UNESCO as a World Heritage Site, it says one of the, the local legends is that they were drinking glasses for giants. And, and I found that really interesting because in my esoteric series of books, I have uh, chapters and a whole bunch of information about the giants. You know, this is one of those things that a lot of people um, may have heard of in, in the Bible, but um, these giants are really found around the world with these elongated skulls and, and much, much bigger bodies than we have in modern humans today. So they're, they're human-like, but they're not quite human. And that's why it's an esoteric subject, because we just don't learn about it in school or uh, the media really doesn't talk about it much. In fact, there was a, a post somebody did when I, I'm, I'm about to go down to Los Angeles and speak at the Conscious Life Expo, and I, my talk is on the the giants and 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 the tie-in with megaliths so the plane of jars perfect example and somebody posted a, a link with the size of all these skeletons that it was found and and facebook said false information <laughs> so anytime they do their fact checking thing you think hmm, that's probably right spot on <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious isn't it it's, it's just funny isn't it because the whole idea of exploration is that uh, you don't know the answers um uh, and that's why we can 
going out there looking for answers. And of course, when history has been largely erased or, or, or you don't know, then the, the, you have to have the inquiry. I mean, human beings are explorers uh, by nature. You would have to think that this would be celebrated, but apparently it's not. And that's the idea that information is now clustered into, into certain ways that you, um, you feel like that only certain people are allowed to make said discoveries. And of course, we've learned all about that over the last few years. Could I ask you a bit more about why it is, therefore, that uh, these giant skeletons that have been found, why would they want to be emitted? Is this part of the, uh, the the control that they don't want us to know about? Well, it would rewrite history as we would know it. Uh, I don't think they uh, the historians really want to rewrite history. They don't want another competing uh, series of, of beings to be involved. But it even goes deeper than that because some of these elongated skulls are alive today. And I show them in my presentation, people, modern photos. It turns out some of them are bankers, Jason. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Karen Hughes, who was uh, one of the bankers at the World Bank, she came out about 10 years ago and said that there's a whole other race of people that run the show on this planet the bankers at the very high end, they don't want to be known. They don't want their names out. They don't want their pictures taken. But Karen Hughes said they are the ones that are basically running the show. And, and it's just interesting that when you ever try to track down, well, who really owns the Federal Reserve in the in America and in your central bank and around the world? You can't really find out who actually does. So, I mean, they hide themselves very well, but I think it's intriguing to think that they could still be alive and really uh, running the show. So um, you go to a country like uh, South America, where I was there five years ago before I went down to Antarctica, and you can go into museums in Peru. There's one in Paracas, Peru, where they have dozens of these elongated skulls there. And I'm telling you, Jason, we went to another museum in the Sacred Valley. Their heads are literally 30 to 35% bigger. And so there's no way you can do cranial deformation or bind a head or put a board on it and create a larger head. It's just impossible. So these are these are different than we are. And it's intriguing that uh, they might still be around calling the shots today. No, absolutely. Look, we're going to take our first break and we'll come back and dig deeper into the work that Brad's done on this trip and others also as he's writing his new book about Antarctica. I just want to tell you that last December, Julian Assange's two-day public hearing was announced for February 20 and 21 at the UK High Court to determine whether Julian would have permission to appeal or whether he will be extradited to the United States. TNT will be at the Royal Courts of Justice broadcasting and covering the entire two days if required. Then TNT will broadcast from various locations throughout London, lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. TNT's Steve Malzberg. If a president could be prosecuted for things he did, which he believed and was advised by his lawyers, what, what was, was the duty of the president to do, and then after the fact, after he's president, he could be prosecuted... The example has come up today many times. Well, when Joe Biden leaves office, he could be prosecuted for not securing the border. Barack Obama um, okayed drone strikes against American citizens overseas. He could be prosecuted for murder. I mean, this opens up a whole can of worms. Um, Pandora's box, I think, is the term that, uh, that Trump used. Steve Malzberg on today's News Talk TNT. 
a better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. It's time to switch on today's News Talk Radio. Very entertaining. TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. My guest this hour is author, traveller, pioneer, Brad Olson. And before the break, we're talking about his trip to Laos. And then, of course, we're talking about South America and this discovery of uh, of plane of jars, indicating perhaps the myth of the giants, which permeates all around the world, which has people scratching their heads. Of course, we learn about it in parts of the Bible that have now been removed. And of course, when this happens, you start to wonder whether or not there is a new narrative replacing an old narrative and whether or not the rewriting of history is an inconvenient truth too far for the powers that be. But the only way that you find out is to keep exploring, keep asking questions, keep knocking on doors. And there's Brad Olson fresh back from his trip, a little bit jet lagged, I would assume, Mm -hmm. and here to tell us more about it. Brad, moving on now. the megaliths that you find underwater is an extraordinary uh, story or stories. How is that accounted for in modern science? Well, it's usually denied by modern science. I'll use the example of Yonaguni, which is an island just uh, north and east of Taiwan. It's the southernmost Japanese island in the uh, archipelago south of Okinawa. And this site underwater was discovered about 20 years ago by someone who was just snorkeling and scuba diving around looking for uh, shellfish and sees this, this massive megalithic uh, location. For the longest time, standard archaeology, including National Geographic, totally denied that it was anything that was fashioned by uh, an intelligent hand until just recently national geographic finally had to admit okay it was it was something that was formed because it's perfectly symmetrical it has stairways it has uh right angles which mother nature does not create perfect right angles uh so perfectly as in the yonaguni monument that they finally had to admit, yeah, okay, it, it was something that would have had to have been carved during the last ice age when the ocean levels were much lower because so much of the water on the planet was locked in, in the glaciers. So it takes some time, but uh, they eventually, when it's irrefutable proof, can't really make many uh, denials. Uh, just last year, I was on the Forbidden Archaeology panel at Contact in the Desert, and sitting right next to me was Graham Hancock. Mm-hmm. And his series on Netflix just came out called uh, Ancient Apocalypse. And, oh, you cannot imagine the amount of flack he's taken for just showing evidence, for just going mm-hmm. to these locations and illustrating that there must have been some kind of cataclysm and that these monuments, many of them, predate the last ice age. So it, it to answer your original question, why is there so much blowback? Well, it it completely rewrites history. And I don't think historians nor archaeologists are uh, 
they're very reluctant to change their narrative. I find it extraordinary because when you consider that uh, in the first part uh, of our lives, people who are alive today, we were pretty much brought up with the idea of creation theory and most people um, had some form of religious experience, whether it be church or synagogue or or mosque or, or, or something or some other form of spirituality, only for a period sort of in the, um, I suppose, after the uh, sexual revolution in the 60s, moving into the 70s, it changed. And of course, um, people stopped believing and stopped attending, etc. Uh, and then we moved into a period of atheism and a belief in the uh, religion of science, so to speak, which is certainly what we're looking at now, the idea that thought replaces belief, that uh, knowledge replaces the uh, the unknown, the unseeable, the unscientific, because you can't observe God, obviously. That's the point. So we have this mixture. And now we have a, a complete split virtually in the species where you have belief versus non-belief. And uh, unbelievably today, Brad, uh, I, I saw someone on social media complaining that they wrote the words, God bless, in a post, and it was taken down off uh, Instagram for being against community standards. That blows my mind. And so we're seeing something going on now, very, very strange. The reason I, I do this, and it's to sort of circle back to what you're saying, why can't it be that there is a completely new or different third narrative that at least human beings would be able to find out where we truly came from and then have some form of unity? It's almost as if the split between um, creation and, uh, and, and evolution is by design so that we can never truly agree. How is it that we can be hive-minded about um, uh, compulsory medicine that has to happen and digital currency that has to happen and safety and convenience every day, but we've got no idea of our origins, no idea of our history, and we're not even allowed to talk about it. That feels like we're being contained for something. That's what that motivates me just the same to sort of, you know, fight against the trolls, so to speak. The trolls happen to be the establishment. Is it what gets you up in the morning and gets you excited to keep going? Well, there's just so many mysteries in the world, Jason. I just love to examine them, uh, write about them and, and speak about them because we really are in a great awakening, and I, I agree with you. We should try to find that middle ground between scientism and uh, religion or spirituality because we don't really know much about our own spirit within our body. Uh, in you, you know, in my book, Modern Esoteric, I have a whole chapter on reincarnation and the science of the spirit. And it's quite apparent that each one of us I like the bumper sticker that says, we're not humans having a spiritual experience, we're spirits having the human experience. And it can be pretty rough down here because I know a lot of uh, people say they're they're not from here, but they did come down to assist in this great awakening and, and uh, just got trapped in this very stark, dense, third dimensional reality. And it, it's very hard on a lot of people. That's why you have depression and suicide and what, what they're known as the indigo children, the, the younger generation than us, who are being born into this world, sometime incredibly gifted and psychic and, and with these superhuman abilities, but our schools don't teach any of this stuff. And, and this is what also frustrates me, but also motivates me to help people understand. Uh, for example, wouldn't it be great if, say, in, in kindergarten, we started learning about the energy chakras in our bodies? And in second grade, we, we started uh, speaking telepathically to each other, mind to mind. By fourth grade, we're bending spoons with telekinesis and, and using these abilities to really enhance ourselves and understand 
the world and the cosmos around us. So these are these esoteric subjects that I just find so utterly fascinating. No, no, absolutely. A couple of things I'll bring up there is that we've seen that um, that e- Elon Musk uh, has talked this week about telepathy being the name of his chip that he's putting into people's heads now, uh, the idea that you can uh, communicate by thought uh, and therefore that science is allowed to go down that pathway, but humans are not meant to have some form of natural ability. And the reason I bring that up is that there was a, a spiritual coach named Eric Pepin that uh, I saw a video that he did a few years ago now that he explained uh, the intuition as what he'd called a sixth sense. And what he explained was he, he put a picture up on a screen and it was a beautiful picture of some water or, mm-hmm. or, or you know, a beautiful setting there. And then he showed it, a, a, compared it to a, a different picture, something sort of dark and a little bit depressing, etc. But what he did was he asked you to look at the picture and to feel through your chest how your body responded to looking at this particular picture. And then he changed the picture and asked the people to then feel what they felt through their chest whilst looking at it. And and, uh, and, and you did it at home and you felt a very different feeling. And you guess, well, that can't be nothing, the fact that you can feel something through your chest. Um, and so intuition, of course, um, the idea of uh, being able to pick up on things that you can't necessarily see. I know in business, intuition is the most invaluable of all assets. I, I worked with a, um, a former a CEO who said to me that one particular person, the, uh, the, the product uh, searcher, finder, business development person, who was the number one guy in this massive company, he said his job is to see around corners and find those products that uh, that are going to be the winners in the future. And of course, if you said see around corners in a normal uh, situation, you'd be laughed at. People say you can't see around corners. You can maybe hear around them, but you can't see. But that's the point of intuition, Brad. So I, I guess what I'm saying is why do we frown upon the ability that we could expand our own abilities naturally and not have to be told that we need to pay a scientist to augment our brains with a chip by one mad professor somewhere in the world? It just doesn't seem to add up. Mm, it doesn't. Well, wouldn't it uh, put religions of the world out of business, especially Western religions? I'll just give you a little antidote. I was in uh, the brand new train station in Laos in Luang Prabang, going back down to the capital of Ventian for the uh, ASEAN Tourism Forum. The Chinese just loaned the money to very poor country Laos who are struggling to pay back this high-speed rail, which is very efficient. It was a great way to travel two hours, which would normally on a a bus or even the old train take all day. And I was sitting in the train station, and uh, it's a Buddhist country, and and right next to me is a, a young Buddhist monk. He's wearing the monk's clothes, and all around us are these Chinese, which are just kind of invading Laos right now because it's so cheap and it's a beautiful country and they're just chattering away and it's just a cacophony of sounds and I'm just looking at this young guy he's only about 12 years old and he is just in this zen state I'm like it, that, that's just so right on that that you could be so calm in all this chaos and I offered him some fruit said no I offered him some money just an alm an offering no. And they, they, when you're in that state, and, and Buddhism in its core is really more of a philosophy than a religion, uh, it is a state of mind. And, and to meditate and, and be calm, be peaceful in your mind and your body is something that we don't really learn in Western society. And I just was so 
awestruck and in admiration of this young man who is, I'm sure, very poor, but boy, he had the peace of mind to uh, put up with all the commotion going around him. I, um, I'm reminded uh, it's quite incredible that we're talking about this because in the next hour, we're going to be talking to Josiah Baker about this book uh, and there's four terms that they use to describe uh, the way to, to get life back on track. And it's simply love, serve, create, enjoy. And of course, money has no part in that place. And of course, people need money in the modern world. But Brad, you've just delivered a perfect example how someone can find the joy in their life and not have to um, need the money, not even want to take the money. It's extraordinary, isn't it? This, this is the part of the traveling that uh, that opens everyone's minds up. And, and of course, our lives are restricted by the uh, the monotony of the uh, of the rat race and the bills, et cetera. But it's the ability to be able to realize what you really want out of life to go and uh, and search for for what you're doing, uh, and of course, it's the mystery and the questions that uh, that make life so much more enriching, uh, so much more possibility. And of course, it, it, it expands even further because then you start seeing ways of life that we didn't even know existed, uh, as such as what you found with the plane of jars there in Laos and the uh, the size of these particular jars, what you've seen on, on trips in South America and other places in the world. And then, of course, the big one that uh, no one seems to know about is Antarctica, and we might just wet people. People's appetites. Now we'll take a break in probably about a minute's time, Brad. But just a quick preview, if if I can ask you before we take the break and come back, when did you start getting interested in Antarctica as a place, not just to visit, but to know more about it? Oh, geez, practically my whole life. Ever since I started looking at globes and maps and plotting out my future travels, and and that was uh, my final continent, seven of seven now. I've been to all, including uh, five months in Australia, where I was amazed to see all of your churches are basically closed. This was in 1993 when I was there. Uh, we were talking earlier about uh, the, the downfall of Western religion and how people are moving to the scientism. But Antarctica has just always been a fascination of mine, Jason, and it was exactly five years ago I was on a sailboat with uh, 13 others, two other Americans and 11 Polish people. It was a Polish vessel from Gdansk, Poland, uh, going down there. All 14 of us, our very first trip, including the captain. And we we entered some rough seas and, and got pretty seasick on the way. I think I lost about 25 pounds on that trip, just couldn't eat for uh, several days. But uh, to go down there and see this forbidden land, uh, that so very, very few people will ever have an opportunity to see. It's just quite otherworldly. It, it seemed you were on another planet. It's so different because there's no trees, there's no green, there's no brown. It's just the blue of the ocean, the blue of the sky, the black of the mountains, and the black of the animals like penguins and whales and seals, and the white of the clouds and the white of the uh, the snow and the white on the animals too. So you lose several of those primary colors. That's something that was very uh, distinguishing. You don't see anything green down there whatsoever. 99% uh, of the whole continent covered in ice. So it's quite a, an unusual place on Earth and then chock full of mysteries, as uh, you alluded to. 
Yeah, well, that's it. So we'll take that break in a moment. When we come back, we'll dig deeper into the work that Brad's uncovering in Antarctica, a whole lot more to discover and a whole book coming, in fact. Now, if you missed your favourite TVNT show or interview, you can simply listen or watch it when you want, wherever you want. Just visit episodes on the TNT Radio website, rumble.com, bitshoot.com or brighteon.com. We're also on all the major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart and TuneIn. Now, there's no reason to miss out on anything on today's news talk tnt give me a minute with tnt radio's steve malsberg ladies and gentlemen it's the end of the week so how about a little dose of joe biden at his best to get you through the weekend folks um uh i uh if i were smart i'd say thank you and leave there's asylum asylum officers and over 100 cutting-edge inspe- inspection machines to help detect and stop fentanyl coming out of our southwest border. Greedflation, shrinkflation. You see that article about the Snickers bar? Well, it's going to stop. America, we're tired of being played for suckers. We get thousands. Look, we, we, you know, we now have, we used to, before the recession, before the, the pandemic, Beer brewed here, <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer in this refinery. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why it's going Cost 10 bucks to make it. 10 bucks to make it. We'll teach Donald Trump a, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women on Now, normally this would be humorous, funny, you know? But this is a man who's president of the United States and looking for four more years on the job. It's frightening. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time right here on TNT. As a combat wounded veteran, I know how hard it is to come home and build a meaningful life. When I was in Iraq, our vehicle was hit. A rocket propelled grenade exploded right under my seat. Traumatic brain injury, a fractured pelvis, severe burns. They didn't think I was going to make it. I had to learn to walk again and live with the scars, both visible and invisible. DAV helps veterans like LaToya get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. With DAV on my side, I was able to pursue my dreams. If my story can touch a heart, it can change a life. My victory is overcoming my wounds so I can help other veterans. LaToya Lucas, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Discussing local, national, and international issues. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. There you go. That was me and a ventriloquist doing me. His voice was much nicer than mine. Welcome back to Weekends. Now, I'm with Brad Olson this hour. Brad, um, if anyone wants to get in uh, and pick up one of the uh, esoteric series, and indeed, when you buy one, you'll buy all three, how can they find the esoteric trilogy? Well, you can go to your local bookstore, which is probably the most affordable way in Australia because shipping out of the U.S. for us is very expensive. But if you want to browse the books or if you're here in uh, North America, you can get 
the books off of cccpublishing.com. That's our publishing website. And any of those books that I wrote go through my office here and I'm able to sign copies for people. And um, you can also go to my website, bradolson.com. And that's my schedule of conferences upcoming. I, I speak at a, about a dozen different conferences around the country each year and some big ones coming up starting uh in one week in los angeles oh that's fantastic did you ever think that this would be the way that you would live your life as a traveler explorer and writer was it always the plan well i was always very curious about the world and wanted to break out from where i grew up in uh, the suburbs of chicago and just by taking trips with with my family and, and in boy scouts realizing there's a big world out there so I did my first solo backpacking trip in Europe in 1988, right when I graduated college. And I met these Australians and Kiwis. They say, oh, three months, mate. We've been on the road for three years. I said, well, how do you do that? They said, we work our way around the world. So I took a page out of the playbook and, and did that myself. And I was an English teacher in Japan. And then all my trips have been self-financed and that's when I did my big three-year trip around the world. I was out of the country for a full three years. And that was one of the greatest learning experiences of my life. And that's when I started writing my first book called World Stompers. And um, that book's still in print. You can see that on CCC Publishing website. And by the way, I have the Google Books app on all of the titles. So you can browse the books. You can read pages and chapters and and check it out just as if you were in a, a normal bookstore and you pulled a book off the shelf and you wanted to kind of flip through some pages and get an idea of the content you can do that on uh, ccc publishing website too yeah look, that's terrific well the biggest topic of the day antarctica uh it really hit me in the face when john kerry the uh, then secretary of state in the um Obama administration, three days after Donald Trump is elected to the White House and president-elect, John Kerry hops on uh, a plane and heads down to Antarctica. Uh, the man is no longer in a job, but uh, somehow he's down there. That that made me scratch my head. Um, and, and of course, the Admiral Richard Byrd story uh, that we've, we've learned a little bit about in the past just says to me that there might be something else under the ice or something else going on down there. And of course, any new research is uh, more than welcome, whether or not you're even allowed to get close to those facilities. Marie Birdland, for example, 25% of the continent off limits to humanity, but happens to be right next to the wedge of land controlled by the United States, which again has more questions being asked. Where do you go from this particular situation as a traveler? Can you get anywhere near the uh, the US uh, wedge of land or is it just a tourist section that you're allowed to get to on your travels? Yeah, and I've uh, been approached by several different groups, producers in Hollywood and, and now an investment group. They're called vccross.com. And we have a proposal up on the website right now to do a lost civilization documentary, uh, pyramids under the ice with the Nazi bases. And if we can get close to the hole under the ice, although that's the big no-fly zone near the uh, South Pole, but uh, we're we're putting the ask out there with some uh, VC money. If we can raise $10 million, we're gonna put together a documentary about going down there and looking into these mysteries. I've talked to travel groups that that will fly us to different places and and they know about the pyramid 
And I said, well, have you ever landed there? You ever climb it or take a sample? No, no, we just fly over it. Uh, so you can get to some of these locations, but um, it's expensive and the distances are very vast. Antarctica is the fifth largest continent of the world. It's uh, about two Australias fit into one. So it's a huge, huge landmass. And uh, you have to bring everything you need down there. There's there's no there's no picking an apple off a tree in Antarctica. Nothing grows down there. So you you do need to be well supplied and be prepared for very frigid conditions. Now you, you mentioned this pyramid uh, and that it's well known, or at least known to people who were part of it. Do we know anything like the uh, perhaps the dimensions, size, possible uh, age? What can you tell us about it? Yeah, it's huge. It's a, a larger base than the Great Pyramid of Egypt. It's uh, two kilometers per side, and it's perfectly symmetrical, four-sided pyramid, partly buried under the ice. And it looks like there's even another one or two additional pyramids nearby, similar to the pyramids of Giza. So that's definitely high on the list to investigate that site and maybe even see if we can climb it and take some samples. If we can find out if there are brickwork or any kind of masonry involved, that this could be a game changer. And I often said just to George Norrie on Coast to Coast last night, Antarctica could be the harbinger for disclosure. It, it could be something down there where disclosure is made to the world. And, and that includes some of these massive craft under the ice and i have pinpointed i think one of the three and they they got the nickname in the 1970s by the nsa our uh, spook organization that is in charge of all things extraterrestrial no such agency but they nicknamed them the nina pinta in santa maria and i know where one of those are and it happens to be in the new schwabenland area that was claimed by nazi germany in the late 1930s so we definitely want to go down there and see if we can find base 211. And I would even bring a Geiger counter to see if indeed the allies had uh, fought back and nuked the Nazi base in uh, Operation Argus, which I do describe all of this in Beyond Esoteric. And that is still a top secret nuclear explosion operation right in the Southern Ocean, right off the shore of, of New Schwabenland. And if a Geiger counter picked up radiation there, um, that could also be a game changer that uh, World War II perhaps didn't end the way we thought it did. And, and maybe these escaped Nazis created the Fourth Reich and uh, got away with a bunch of their hardware, including these Honeyboo craft, which uh, was reported mm. to come up out of the ocean and confront Admiral Byrd in the Battle of High Jump. And these blueprints for the Honeyboo craft uh, came out about 20 years ago, just an endonymous donor sent them to a researcher in the UK. And uh, in America, we had the big flyover of the Capitol in July of 1952, when Truman was still president. And uh, Laura Eisenhower, whose new book called Awakening the truth frequency has some new information that Truman surrendered to the Antarctica Nazis because they flew right over the most sensitive airspace in the world and we couldn't do anything about it. 
And those were the craft, those honeyboo craft that Admiral Byrd said to a journalist in Chile when they were coming back after the Battle of High Jump. And he said that we would be confronted with an enemy that can fly pole to pole at incredible speeds. And that's exactly what they did when they flew over the Capitol and the Pentagon in 1952. So her great-grandfather, Dwight D. Eisenhower, inherited this raw deal that uh, they surrendered to the Antarctica Nazis. And one last thing, Jason, when I was in South America, I'm going over all these maps and, and looking at the terrain and finding there are huge land holdings in Chile and Argentina and Brazil, which are essentially micro-nations in these countries, kind of in the same way that the Vatican City is its own country, nation within the city of Rome, within Italy, well, they have these micronations down in South America where the Fourth Reich, they all happen to be German with German accents, set up their shop and uh, were working on backward engineering and continuing the work that they had done in the Third Reich with these anti-gravitic zero-point energy craft. Uh, it's just incredible. I remember seeing something that popped up out of the JFK files that were released a few years back, and there was a picture claiming to be uh, Adolf Hitler in Argentina at the time, uh, ha having obviously survived it. I mean, imagine that in the JFK files. And, of course, no mainstream media wanted to pick up on that story, another inconvenient truth. So it remains there with uh, in the ether uh, as a question yet to be answered. I just want to bring up or go back to the the, the point you made about Dwight D. Eisenhower there uh, and, and what he was maybe uh, to inherit from Truman. Uh, but his comments, of course, when he leaves office about the military-industrial complex, it seems, therefore, that if he knew what, what you're claiming that he knew and therefore says to the US military, we've got a, a lot of work to do, but then he loses control of the military-industrial complex at the end of his term in office and warns. And, of course, JFK takes over at that point, uh, wants to uh, to eliminate the CIA. He, he, he says that secrecy is repugnant. And so it is that we seem at this time to have some sort of split between the, um, uh, between the executive and perhaps the spy agencies or the military military itself. Um, does that sort of form part of the research and, and the work that you're doing? Oh, absolutely. This is the untold history of America. This is when the deep state started uh, taking control, the CIA, which is known as uh, basically the enforcement arm of the globalists. This is how they get the, the wet works, how they get their business done. They uh, send out the CIA to topple dictators, to take resources, uh, look what they did to Gaddafi in Libya and deposed uh, Eliante in Chile and put in a dictator, Pinochet, who is just a horrible fascist dictator. And this is when the dirty war in Argentina also took place. Uh, so, so there's a lot that Americans don't know what our own alphabet agencies have done. And so when this information starts getting out, there, there's going to be some reckoning to pay, as well as this lost history of this military industrial complex, this deep state, this cabal basically of the globalist um, taking control of this, this great country and, and your country too. You know, we're all part of the five eyes with uh, UK and Canada, US, Australia, New Zealand. We all share our intelligence and we're all supposed to be working together, but it's really under the aegis of this deep state. 
So we all have some uh, soul searching to do right now and really root out who is the cause of uh, a lot of these crimes that are being committed and, and putting us into lockdown and all the other things that have happened in the last few years that um, we can't let this happen again. And then this is the group that's doing it. It's, it's the Davos group. It's these globalists that just have control of the money supply. And uh, it was a, one of the Nathan Rothschild said in the 1800s, I don't care who makes the laws of your land. You give me control of the money system and uh, I'll take it from there. I'm paraphrasing, but uh, that, that's what they've done. And when you control the money supply, you can control a nation. Yeah, indeed. And that's, of course, what we're seeing right now uh, in, in real time, of course, because despite here in Australia, we seem to have a digital hack almost every other day where a corporation has taken over, whether it be a, a telecommunications company, a private health insurer, uh, it, it could be anything. Uh, and, and again, these people are hacked uh, all sorts of ways. And the government, instead of saying, OK, we're going to back down a little bit from this digital process, they go the other way and tell us that it's all in for digital ID and perhaps a central bank digital currency that we know is being being started all around the world. And that can only mean one thing. It's the idea of being tracked and traced. And of course, it will be used to say, well, if you have been hacked, then we will be able to determine where that money went. Of course, guilty, everyone is now considered to be guilty before innocent. It's this convenience that is used in a controlling mechanism that always seems to take away our freedoms. And it's our freedoms that uh, are priceless and are the ones that need to be protected. And I guess that means, Brad, that the work that you're doing as an explorer, as a writer, journaling exactly what you're doing and seeing is so important because at the same time, as doors are being closed behind us, you're out there opening new doors for all of us, which is the most important work that anyone could do in a world that is still yet undiscovered. I've only got two minutes left, and I just want to ask you one more question. It's about the Piri Reis map and islands that are just now being discovered, yet this map is hundreds of years old. What can you tell us? Yeah, I was uh, drawn in the year 1513 and in the liner notes by uh, Admiral Piri Reis, a Turkish admiral. He says that it was drawn from source maps that go all the way back to the Library of Alexandria. So it's quite likely that the source maps of the Piri Reis map were drawn during the last ice age when the islands in the Rani ice shelf and the Ross ice shelf were now covered in ice, but had once islands in a bay that are depicted on the Piri Reese map. So it's a great document. And I just wanted to say one thing. There's a, an interesting connection with your third guest who is going to uh, talk about the Manson family and uh, mm -hmm. Van Houten. One of my best friends, his name is Judge Edward Taylor. He was the judge for Van Houten and actually had... Uh, also agreed that she should be released. But Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, uh, didn't want to do it. So uh, I got news from you that uh, she has just been released. So I'm going to text Judge Edward Taylor right after the show and say, uh, yeah, he, you, the, you're, you're having the what her attorney is coming on the show. 
Yeah, that, that's right. Rich Pfeiffer will be here in uh, in a little over an hour's time to talk about his work. He, he gave up 10 years of his life uh, with Leslie Van Houten. That's one of the things I want to explore because lawyers do get a bad name. Uh, and the idea that you would give up your time, and clearly there's no billable hours in uh, defending someone who's been in prison for 50 years for murder, and you give up 10 years of your life realising that some human being may well have been manipulated the way that uh, that she had and others done under the uh, under Charles Manson. And of course, that's where the MK Ultra story comes up. It's it's quite incredible, Brad. Uh, we have reached the end of our time. I just want to say thank you again for uh, being able to catch up. And I know it was short notice and uh, and uh, and you've just got back from a big trip, but your work is exemplary. It's uh, my favourite to read in the whole world. I love it when a new book comes out. I tell everyone about it. Esoteric Trilogy, Future Esoteric, Modern Esoteric and uh, and Beyond Esoteric, cccpublishing.com, Brad Olson with an E.com. Check it out, Brad. Thanks again. All the best. Good luck with your um, uh, the, the conference that you're at too that's coming up. We're going to have to take uh, news headlines and we'll be back with our new guest just after this here on TNT Radio.